Well, it's the Easter season. It's my favorite time to preach. Of course, I love to preach all the time, but I really love to preach around Easter. For the past several months, we've immersed ourselves in the most important drama that has ever occurred in human history. We've scoured the rich teaching of the Lord Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. We've gone through his high priestly prayer in John 17, word for word. We've traced his steps to Gethsemane where the intensity was so thick that the Lord Jesus, literally his capillaries burst and and blood oozed out of the pores of his skin. We've witnessed the betrayal of Judas, the arrest of the Son of God, the denials of Peter, the intrigue and injustice of multiple trials, the rejection of the chief priests, the mockery and the brutal scourging, and the reluctant verdict of Pilate. Everything is all set for the curtain to rise for the perfect ending. Today and for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about that perfect ending I pray that you will listen to this story like you've never heard it before. It is without a doubt the most important story that has ever been told in human history. It's a true story and it has embedded within it the power to save your soul, to change your life and to ensure your eternal destiny. Okay, let's raise the curtain and take a thoughtful, long look at the next part of the drama, and that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19, verse 16, the Bible says, So he, that's Pilate, then handed him over to them to be crucified. Death by crucifixion was the most cruel and painful death anyone could ever die. The Romans crucified thousands and thousands of people throughout the Roman Empire. However, there is only one crucifixion that to this day reverberates through the quarters of time. It is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. While this this crucifixion is celebrated in heaven as they worship the lamb that was slain. This crucifixion is celebrated in churches all over the world. In John chapter 19, verse 17, the Bible says, They took Jesus, therefore, and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. You and I are meant to see that Jesus went voluntarily. The Roman soldiers did not have to drag Jesus to Golgotha. Jesus went voluntarily because Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins. And he knew from the very beginning, he knew from eternity past that one day he would be crucified to provide the one sacrifice that could redeem the fallen human race. He didn't resist. By the way, this is the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy written by Isaiah approximately 700 years ago. In Isaiah 53, 7, 
He wrote, he was oppressed, speaking of Jesus who was to come, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus was willing to die for the sins of the fallen human race. He himself said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus had to bear his own cross. This was a mark of guilt. However, Jesus was innocent and totally sinless. He was the one who could offer the sin, the, 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 the sacrifice that God the Father would accept in payment for our sins. I want you to see Jesus carrying the horizontal crossbeam on his bloody, lacerated shoulders as he made his way through the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha. I want you to see that he was carried outside of the city to suffer as a sin offering for us. This was pictured in the Mosaic law. In Leviticus 16, 27, the Bible says, but the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken, now listen, outside the camp. And they shall burn their hides and their flesh and their refuse in the fire. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. All of this. It is in fulfillment of biblical prophecy and biblical typology. Now let's move on to the next verse, verse 18. Look at it. There they crucified him. There, Golgotha, they crucified him. John does not elaborate, nor do the the, the authors of the synoptic gospels elaborate on all of the gory details of crucifixion. He simply says, there they crucified him. However, David described what Jesus would go through on the cross when he wrote, wrote it down about 1,000 years before the crucifixion took place, when crucifixion was not even a thing. David, writing under the inspiration, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, described in great detail what Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, would go through as he suffered for the sins of the human race on the cross of Calvary. In verse 1 of Psalm 22, he, he pictured how there would be a separation between the Father and the Son. And Jesus actually used these words from the cross when he said, My God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? He pictured in verse 14 the exhaustion that Jesus would suffer. He pictured his bones being pulled out of joint in verse 14. In, in, 
In Psalm 22, 14, he pictured the stress that was placed on his heart. In verse 15, he pictured his failing strength and his raging thirst. In verse 16, he even described in detail how the nails would be driven through his wrist and through his feet. And he wrote all that down 1,000 years before it was a reality. But God wants us to see that the bodily suffering of Jesus was real. But I'm telling you, folks, the spiritual suffering of Jesus was enormous. Uh, we, we could never begin to, to think, dream, or imagine what Jesus went through in his spirit as he became sin for us. He, the, sonly, the sinless son of God, became sin for us. And where there's sin, there is separation from God. And for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus felt that separation between himself, God the Son, and, and God the Father. He was made sin for us. He experienced wave after wave of the wrath of God. And he experienced a, a separation that he had never experienced before. Two criminals were crucified on either side of Jesus there on Golgotha. This too was a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy. In Isaiah 53 verse 12, written approximately 700 years before this took place, Isaiah wrote, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death. And was num now listen, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Think of it. The Son of God was crucified between two thieves. But here we see not a defeated Christ. Here we see an exalted Christ fulfilling biblical prophecy and dying for the sin of the world. Glory to Jesus. In verse 19, the Bible says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, and here's what it said, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. The Roman procurator ordered that, trans, that inscription to be attached to the cross. And I tell you, I see the sovereign hand of Almighty God at work here. This royal title was well-deserved. Listen, the Jewish chief priests did not believe that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Pilate himself did not believe that Jesus was the king of the Jews. But I tell you, on the authority of the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of the living God, Jesus was and is the king of the Jews. He is the king of the world. Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days, God the Son coming up to God the Father and was presented before him. And to him, 
God the Son was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And Pilate said, the king of the Jews, and he was the king of the Jews. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, the angel said these words to Mary as she was about to give birth to the Son of God. He said, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now the Romans usually crucified prisoners in a public place. Now, they had a reason for doing that. They, they wanted the people to see crucifixions because they wanted to, for people to understand that crime does not pay, that it's not smart to rebel against Rome. So in verse 20, we read these words. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Now, these three languages were the major languages of the world at that time. So John is actually declaring that Jesus is not merely the Jewish Savior and King. He is also the Savior and the King for the entire world. John certainly affirm, affirms that in his gospel. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 9, John wrote, There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 3, 16 and 17, John records, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In John 4, 42, Jesus had gone into Samaria. He met the Samaritan woman at the well and, and he offered her living water and she finally believed in Jesus. She went into the city and she brought a sidecar and she, she told them, you got to come. I think I've seen the Messiah. And they came and listen what they said in they, verse 42. 42 of chapter 4 of John, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed, now listen, the Savior of the world. Needless to say, Caiaphas and the chief priests and the cronies of these high-ranking religious muckety-mucks were absolutely irate that Pilate would have the audacity to put on this placard above the cross of Jesus that he was the king of the Jews. Verse 21, so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. 
The idea that a man from the insignificant Galilean village of Nazareth dying on a cross could be their king was ludicrous and insulting to them. They wanted Jesus to be passed off as an imposter, a fraud. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And I'm so glad he didn't budge on this one, right? What I have written, I have written. Now here's an example, I believe, of God using sinful men to, to accomplish his sovereign purposes. You see, God wanted the world to know. God wanted every person who walked by that cross to know that his son was on the cross and his son was and is the king of the Jews. Jesus would be crucified as the king of the Jews. Look in verse 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Once again, here's a clear reference to Old Testament prophecy. David, writing a thousand years before this event ever occurred, said in Psalm 22:18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. But I want you to see the sharp contrast between the hard-hearted, calloused Roman soldiers who were gambling for his clothes and a small group of devoted disciples who gathered at the foot of the cross. Verse 25, therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus' mother Mary was there. Simeon, when Jesus was only a few days old, said to Mary and Joseph in the temple, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And in verse 35 of Luke chapter 2, Simeon said to Mary, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And I tell you, as Mary sat there with eyes brimming with tears at the, at, at the sight of seeing her son suffering so much physically and spiritually, that sword pierced her heart. And there was Mary Magdalene from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. There was Mary, the wife of Clopas, and, and, and Mary's sister. And they were all a part of this special moment as Jesus was crucified. And John was there also. Peter wasn't there. Philip wasn't there. Nathaniel wasn't there. But I'll tell you, John was there. 
I believe he was the only apostle who showed up at the cross. In verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he was, he was referring to John, the apostle. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. I often wondered, why didn't Jesus entrust the care of his mother, his widowed mother, to the, the brothers and sisters, his half-brothers and half-sisters that Joseph and Mary had had after Jesus was born? Why? And, and here's the reason I think. None of his brothers and sisters had believed in him yet. They wouldn't believe in him until after the resurrection. And I think Jesus did not want his mom to go into a house filled with unbelievers where she could be ridiculed or even mocked by, by her own kids. And, and she, he tr entrusted Mary's care to John. How could we possibly... Read this without feeling our emotions well up within us. Even as Jesus was paying the penalty for our sins, even as Jesus was suffering physically and spiritually to such a degree that we could never understand, even then he was caring about other people and reaching out to other people. To Mary, he granted a continuing legacy of tender care and love. To his executioners, according to Luke chapter 23, he prayed for God to forgive them. To the thief, right there on the cross next to him, he grants the promise of salvation. Having examined this portion of the drama of the cross, what truth can we possibly take away from here with us today? And I prayed about this, and I sought the face of God. And I said, Lord, what would you have me to share with your people? What do you want to lodge in their hearts? And here's what God gave me. This thought, the cross reveals the heart of God. If you really want to know the heart of God, look at the cross. Go to the cross. Look at the cross. Our study today, is, as we've looked at it, that there, there, are, there are three main emphases that seem to rise to the surface in this text that we've looked at today. Number one, there is a rational emphasis. The Holy Spirit led John to include a rational argument for the providence of God. I want you to know that God planned every aspect of Jesus' life, every aspect of his ministry, every, every miracle, every, every teaching moment, God the Father planned it, and Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and carried out his will perfectly, perfect obedience. And I'll tell you, that will also included the suffering and the death of Jesus on the cross in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, 
The Bible says this, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he said to the Jewish people gathered, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. I tell you, God knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish when he allowed the Romans to nail his son to the cross. This is why numerous references to Old Testament prophecies are sprinkled throughout this text that we've looked at today. And I'll tell you, Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies to a T. You know what this proves? This proves that this book is true. It is truth without mixture of error. I tell you, when you can prophesy something happening a thousand years, 700 years, 500 years before it ever happened, and it comes true right down to the very nitty-gritty detail, you know that you've got something that is absolutely supernatural. And I want to tell you today, if you're here in this room, if you're in our fellowship hall, if you're watching by live stream, you can trust the Word of God. You can trust everything Jesus said and everything that this book says about Him. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day He's coming and He's going to establish His kingdom on this planet and He will rule forever and ever. That's the truth. So I'm glad, and go ahead, give, give glory to Jesus. So I'm so glad there's a rational emphasis in this text, but there's also a doctrinal emphasis. In our study today, God reveals his heart by highlighting the fact that Jesus made atonement for the sins of the human race, the fallen human race, by offering his body and his blood on the cross of Calvary. Hear the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Do, do you hear that? He bore our sins. I, I want you to think just a moment of some of the most heinous sins you've ever committed in your life. And I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, God the Father, took the guilt associated with the sin you would commit 2,000 years ago, and he placed it upon the broad shoulders of his perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God the Father punished Jesus for our sins. He had no sin. Peter wrote, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. That's not talking about physical healing. That's talking about spiritual healing. That's talking about salvation. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul wrote, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the big doctrinal truth in our text today. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and to, to, to pay your penalty so that you would never have to face the wrath of God so that you could be saved. My goodness, this is good stuff. I would add this. There's only one Savior for the entire world. 
Jesus is not just the Savior of Americans. He's not just the Savior of Jews. He's the Savior of those who live in Afghanistan. He's the Savior of those who live in Japan. He's the Savior of those who are sprinkled all over the world. There is only one Savior. That's the doctrinal truth that is embedded in this drama that we've studied today. So there's a rational emphasis, there's a doctrinal emphasis, and there is a personal emphasis. My heart was so gripped as I studied this text to see Jesus hanging on the cross, blood dripping down, puddling up on the ground beneath the cross, and knowing that he would still show sympathy and love and concern for the people gathered around him. He expressed that to his mom and to those disciples. He expressed that to his executioners. He expressed that to the thief on the cross. Oh, what a savior. My goodness. I'm reminded of the words of the writer of Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So I ask you today, Have you received Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? Yes, he died for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins so that you would never have to face the wrath of God. He alone can forgive your sins and wipe them out clean so that you never have to answer for a single sin you've ever committed before a holy and righteous God. Jesus did all that for you. And he and he alone can give you the gift of eternal life. So I pray today that he will open your heart to respond to him today with repentance and faith. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to leave your seat and our worship team will come and our staff will come. In fact, I'm going to ask you guys to come on up here right now. Let's get ready. I believe somebody's going to get saved today. Listen, you've heard the truth today. You've heard the gospel. You can never save yourself. I don't care how good you are, how religious you are. Don't ever think that you're going to heaven on your merit. There's not one thing you can add to what Jesus has accomplished for you through the cross and the resurrection. And I want to invite you today, in just a moment, You leave your seat. You come to one of our staff members and you simply say to them, today, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And we'll help you with that. We've got trained volunteers and we'll take you to a private room here outside the sanctuary and we'll share with you the gospel and make sure you understand it. And you can pray and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord today. But I want to say a word to those of you who are Christians. You have repented of your sins. You have placed your faith in Jesus. You're a part of his eternal kingdom. But I must ask you this. Does he have a place of preeminence in your heart? Have you allowed the distractions of this world system to worm their way in and to demote Jesus down the order of your priorities? 
I tell you today, how in the world can we study this and see this taking place before our very eyes? How can we not give him the very best that we have? Oh, I invite you today to come to this altar, bow at these steps, and recommit your heart, your life, your all to Jesus. Jesus said we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. And I want to encourage you to do that right here today. Just come and bow at this altar. One final thing I want to ask you, if you're a believer, do you have a church home? Do you have a church that you call home where you worship and you serve and, and you give and, and, and you, you, you magnify the name of Jesus with other believers? If not, I want to invite you to come to our staff members and just tell them today that you want to become a part of Carville First Baptist. Hey, thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. You know, I read the other day that in Philippi, Paul was preaching the gospel by a riverbank. And there was a no woman named Lydia there. And the Bible says this, that God opened her heart to respond to the things Paul was preaching. Oh, I pray that God the Father will open your heart to respond to this good news that Jesus loves you so much that he would die on the cross for your sin. And we'll find out, not next week, but on Easter Sunday, that this same Jesus who died was resurrected from the dead. He's alive. He can change your heart. He can change your life. He can change your eternal destiny. Let's pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. We are so thankful, Father, that in your sovereign plan, that you would send your son to die on the cross for our sins. We love you. And I pray today that you would open people's hearts for you to do what you want to do in their lives, to save some and, and to bring believers who have, have backslidden back to a, a radical commitment to you and, and, and to bring uh, people to church membership and to faithfulness. Oh, God, glorify yourself in our response. In Jesus' name.